I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. This never happened to the other fellow. For your eyes only, darling. Whoever she was must have scared the living daylights out of her. What of you? Hello and welcome back to a new episode of For Your Ears Only, Optimism Vaccine's ongoing James Bond podcast. You join us for episode 0024 as we take on Quantum of Solace. My name is Jack Eason. I'm joined by Jake Trapila. How you doing, Jake? Doing just dandy, Jack. How are you? Good. Uh, you know, not too bad. Uh, God, we're, we're closing in. We're running out of movies. I know. We're gonna. We're, what are we gonna do? We're gonna get there, and then uh, we're gonna wait until the next one comes out. But you know, that's gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna call for a new bond, new new creative teams. It's gonna be a years away. But then that means we get to do this whole podcast series all over again until we get to the next that's, one. That's what I was gonna ask. Yeah, should we just go backwards from from No Time to Die back back to Doctor No or Casino Royale, the TV version? Oh, that's interesting. Why not? Let's keep going. Yeah, they'll just. How deep can we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They'll just become more quaint as we go along. That's one way to do it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many layers can we uncover. Eventually, this will become like just this, you know, like the, the podcast that does like uh, where, where they devote like an entire episode to like one second of heat. We can just start doing that over the years to James Bond films and right, eventually well parse it all together. That's, that's just crazy. Yeah. I do not. I do not condone the Star Wars minute lifestyle. That is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> just give it a go come on it'll be great yeah oh well anyway this episode as as mentioned we are venturing further into the daniel craig era we're through casino royale which i think we both agree is kind of like a a bond high a franchise high oh for sure uh, tricky film to f tricky film to follow up um by any metric so yeah well, Solace is the movie to try. It's it's an incredible layup. Like you, you basically they're handed a, a golden opportunity to restart the whole franchise, and the sky's the limit. They're not tied down to any past stories, any sort of uh, connections, any continuity. This is a whole it is a clean slate that they handed themselves, and. Uh, to follow it up with Quantum of Solace, uh, I guess one word you could say is interesting. Uh, another word you could say Definitely is... Definitely a loaded word. Loaded word. Interesting. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to say hmm, disappointing, uh, if you ask me. Um, this is a, yeah, this is a very divisive film uh, for many reasons. Um, Jack, you've never seen it before, right? What were your initial thoughts coming out of it? Um, yeah, so I watched this literally just just prior to recording, like earlier today, I saw this movie for the first time ever. So I feel like a time traveler because <laughs> there's some things in this that I really, I really liked. And it's like, I no one, we, like no one talked about this movie, I feel like, because I knew nothing about it going in. I feel like I know a few bits and pieces about like Spectre and Skyfall, you know, just people mentioning it in passing. Quantum of Solace? Nothing. I like literally. This is. I. It may as well have just come out yesterday for for everything I learned about it, um, including. I mean, we'll get to. It, but like the theme tune, never heard it before. Didn't know who did it. Completely missed that. Oh, yeah. Um. And and I will say. I mean, the what I will say about Quantum Solace, and I agree with you. I think it's disappointing. It's not. It's not a very strong film. 
Um, but what I will will take from it is the first 10 minutes or so of it are pretty strong. I quite liked that. It was just yeah. sort of after the first 10 minutes. Um, and yeah, the movie is actually quite short. It's an hour and 47 minutes. It's like the short, I think this it might be the shortest. The shortest Bond yeah. film, yeah. Which is crazy because Casino Royale, its predecessor, is one of the longest. Um, and yeah, so it, yeah. strange mix. Yeah, very strange mix. And it's it just... So the way that Quantum of Solace is, it's, this is the first time the franchise has done this. It is an immediate direct sequel to Casino Royale in that we literally pick up moments where that film left off after and Bond is in the middle of a high-speed chase. Um, and I was, once I, you, you don't really know that's happening, of course, until he opens the trunk of the car. You think this is just another standard mission. But um, yeah, that's a that is an interesting gambit, and, and we'll get into it, of course. But yeah, like you said, there's there's some strong things that I like in this movie, um, but there's it's also a very flawed movie, and it's one that a lot of people really have an, a growing appreciation for. Um, some people describe this as like the the post uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service revenge flick that is the artiest Bond film and is destined to be misunderstood forever. Um, but uh, I, uh, I, I just, I don't see, I can't see it. It's, it's, it's got so many flaws and a lot of that just lies in the editing. Um, I, you know, I'm a... Sure. I, 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 yeah. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome, that sounds like a really cool flick. Exactly. The, the post on Her Majesty's Secret Service revenge flick. I, I would love to tune in for that. I, this doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Um, I, for various reasons. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I in all seriousness, seriousness, give me that movie. I will see that Bond film. I mean, that's kind <laughs> of what License to Kill is. It's not a save the world mission. It's let me fuck with a local drug dealer and kill his guys or get him to do it for him. But yeah, this is I. I just I just don't see the that praise that people uh, heap onto this film. Um, I don't think it's the yeah. worst Bond film either, mind you. But it's it's definitely lower sure. tier for me. Yeah, I, I think in discussing it, because the, the one thing, because I watched this movie and my, my overarching take of it was that it felt like this, it feels kind of like a transition between films. It feels like a feature length, kind of like padding out, but, you know, kind of like yeah. small talk film. Um, there's The set pieces aren't particularly distinguished. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of action, but it, none of it is, yeah. I mean... It glow pops, but really there, there's no, like, even I just watched this a couple of hours ago and describing the set pieces kind of like exploding building, mm -hmm. car chase, boat chase, fell, you know, falling from an airplane. And it's like, these are just action set pieces. Like, to, you know, yeah. I, it's not like I can go, you know, on the Eiffel Tower or, you know, any kind of like particularly notable, you know, like abseils down a dam, you know, these like big set pieces. This film doesn't really have that at all. And um, I suppose in talking about film, the one thing after after I I'd finished wrapped it up and I had this impression like that film felt weirdly unfinished yes, to me. Yes, that too. Um, th that that I looked I looked it up and I found out apparently this film hit right into a writer's guild strike, and I think that might be the unavoidable elephant in the room for for explaining why this film maybe feels the way it does it's very action heavy yeah and um, the story is quite pared back fairly simple but kind of convoluted but not really there's not a lot of moving parts in it yeah it, it does feel like you know they kind of they ratchet up the action to move away from you know where casino royale was actually a very 
a very wordy film felt you know quite a quite an in-depth talky bond film and um, this really goes i mean this it, it opens with almost like three chases back to back almost like we have a car chase yeah. and then we have rooftop chase and then there's a boat chase all within like you know within the first 25 minutes exactly. practically yeah and it just feels like they're they're trying to they're they're basically filling it in um without you know without having a real backbone in place um but anyhow, I, I guess why not just dive into the movie since we're, we're talking about different parts of it. So, I mean, we, we open, as you say, it, we pick up moments after Casino Royale, car chase. This is very solid stuff to me. It's it's oh, a yeah. really, um, it's a, this is good. The editing is, is quick and crazy, certainly, but it kind of fits the, it's not really that confusing to me. Bond is being pursued by two cars uh, with machine gun guys hanging out the side trying to take him out. And he's going through this tunnel in Italy. Mm-hmm um works works very well and like i said i the first 10 minutes so this movie i was very much on board i'm very much on board with this scene so um yeah good times yeah it it this this car chase is uh it's great i mean i'm thinking back like the maybe the only other car chase that stands out as memorable to me is uh i I mean i like the one in four years on for your eyes only which is uh has shares a lot of dna with this film but like the just the, the the sound design in this is great. The the mixing of the engine, the the bullets, um, the way like the cars are slamming into each other in the tunnels. Uh, at one point, like a piece of that semi truck breaks off and it it snaps Bond's door off, and he like does this one eighty reverse spin to get it out of his sight. It's 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 frenetic and it's crazy, and I I do really enjoy it. Um, and yeah, they drive through a, a rock quarry at one point. Um, I do love how it just kind of ends with Bond shooting the other driver in the face with a machine gun. It's off screen, but it's it's a very, you know, like it's, it's a, a very quick. End. It's a very <laughs> realistic ending. It's like, you know, these these cars are being riddled with bullets. And once he has a clear shot, it just stops. Um I I am disappointed you you brought the great Bond chase you you don't have love for the uh, falling apart car of a few to a kill with Roger Moore <laughs> through the streets of Paris <laughs> featuring so, Roger Moore's heavily visible stunt double <laughs> yeah yes yeah. fair play to the man yeah. um, well yeah oh a classic that is yeah I mean you know there's there's you can have your fun and you can have your grit and this is this is definitely a hundred percent I gotta grit. say. Yeah, de- definitely gritty. I I gotta say, I've been car shopping recently. I I lost my car to a teen driver oh, wow. who who took it out while it was parked, so I wasn't even in the car, which I guess is good. No one was injured, yeah. but my car got ruined. So be it. So I I was shopping and and you know my meager regular guy budget, and I gotta say, it just sucks when you're just watching this like Aston Martin and other like beefy sports cars tearing around. I'm like, yeah, I gotta. Hyundai Elantra it's <laughs> yeah uh, it's well, wish fulfillment truly I'm just looking at that in the hand I've been just driving so many cars for the last week and I'm just like didn't get to do any of this yeah shame well I mean now that you have your car a car back you got to go find those teens and send them to the bottom of a rock quarry that's that's the only oh man poetic justice you can she'd have. never see it coming because she was looking at her phone at the time so <laughs> yeah easy kill definitely nice um yeah yeah i probably have to put it in sports mode uh if i want to emulate the way they're going here but yeah no it's it's a really really solid um opening sequence and this i think ushers us he opens the trunk we got mr white in there who he of course shot yeah at the end of casino royale winged in the leg and he's obviously taking him back for interrogation where we pick it up and then of course we have we we 
launch straight from that into our opening credits, which really took me aback, I gotta say, for the just the, the title song. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Would, yep. One one word real quick about the opening of the trunk. Um, and this is like the kind sure. of, this is the part of the Casino Royale DNA that I do like that made it into this film is after like surviving the craziest car chase shootout ever, the way that Bond just calmly says to Mr. White, it's time to get out. Uh, from the trunk is that that's just like the kind of charm that makes me fall in love with these movies it's it's perfect it is impressive yeah that he's still only shot once yeah when he gets taken out of the trunk that seems <laughs> dubious but we'll, we'll roll with it yeah but yeah you're right we get taken into the opening title sequence and that's when we hear this Yes, of course. So you mentioned this is a very strange song with a strange opening sequence. Um, I mean, to be fair, it's really hard to rhyme the phrase quantum of solace. Uh, <laughs> That's so. two back to back. Chris Cornell did not try and fit Casino Royale in. And yeah, Jack White and, and Alicia Keys were not going to, they weren't said nope. to try and fit quantum of solace in there, which fair enough. Don't blame them. Probably better yeah. off this way. <laughs> This is, uh, yeah, this is another way to die, of course. Um, uh, I'm not a fan of it really at all. Uh, really? It's a li- little little too, I don't know. The the guitars are not doing it for me. Just that, that heavy, heavy, I don't know. It's kind of like a heavy electric grunge feel to it. That's all I can really describe it. Um, how yeah, do you I, feel about it? Yeah, no, I, I have a kind of an interesting relationship, okay? Because I've heard this song for one and only one time earlier today and i gotta Mm -hmm. say i really i really liked it when it hit i thought it was a very thrilling kind of a thing admittedly at this point i cannot recall the melody or any other detail about it so maybe it's not like the catchiest song but i do think that it's it's it struck me as being a really great kind of a uh what we say a revamping it's kind of it's a very distinctive bond theme there isn't really anything else that i've heard prior like this even chris cornell's song was much more like a traditional rock song this Mm -hmm. has a kind of a with alicia keys it kind of has a a, almost a hip-hop sensibility with the with the lyrics not not actual like rap per se but you know kind of an energy a staccato rhythm 
very much unlike anything that's brought in before. It feels very, you know, it feels to me very contemporary, very modern. Um, I suppose yeah. I suppose the layoff would be Madonna's Die Another Day, which was maybe too that's, modern. For, yeah, that's what for, it reminds me of, really. Yeah, yeah see, see so I think this strikes a pretty good balance. I think this, it, it has some of the classic elements, but it, it brought in... Uh, you know, kind of like some kind of a new feeling to it, which is interesting because the credits we common in Casino Royale for the opening credits, they did away with the whole like naked women silhouettes. They're kind of back again. <laughs> so yeah. it's reverting back, but still kind of moving forward. I, I, I say like, I mean, I'm not sure. Like I say, I don't really even remember the tune of this song, but I do. I, I do feel that certainly on a first exposure, it really struck well for me. I, I actually really thought that was a great choice or it worked out really well. So we'll see yeah. how that holds up in future, although I, I'm not sure Quantum of Solace is going to be the one that I keep returning to. But if we right. if we enact our uh, permanent Bond podcast schema, then, you yeah. know, over the years, it will eventually worm its way into my brain. Yeah, I do. I will say I do like the chorus where they both... T- coming together and they're like alright that's enough of that um, yeah no keep so, going yeah. more <laughs> no more. sir uh, no uh, we get to uh, Mr. White's interrogation um, where he basically uh, reveals that uh, oh I'm part of quantum and uh, we're actually everywhere and it's like this deep Spectre-like in group that's basically infiltrated the world, and like they've got agents, uh, including M, who's there. Her right-hand man, Mitchell, is uh, is revealed to be a quantum agent, and this leads into another chase sequence immediately following the previous chase sequence. Um, and I this makes me think that you know, watching this film, I I feel like they kind of return to Casino Royale and they kind of pin down what works, what do people like, and everyone says, oh well, people love the parkour chase. Let's keep giving them that. And as much as I love the parkour chase in Casino Royale, it's like ice cream. I love ice cream. I don't want a whole movie of ice cream. You know, I gotta, you gotta pace out your meals or your desserts, I guess. Um, But yeah, what do you, what do you think of this, this interrogation business? Yeah, definitely. Well, well, the interrogation scene certainly, like I say, as the guy who has not watched any of these movies before, I was a little bit surprised by this when you know through the course of the film to learn that the organization is called Quantum. Because I mean, I know there's another film down the line called Spectre, and Spectre are the shadowy Mm -hmm. organization. So who the hell is Quantum? Why is there another one? I thought we were going towards that. I feel it turns out that that Quantum is some kind of a subdivision of Spectre Inc. or something. I don't know. Um, you know, but but so that was a little bit surprising to me to learn that that was actually... But, you know, and the the, the title um, is an odd one. It is an Ian Fleming story, Quantum of Solace. Um, yeah, so... And, and, the- Mm-hmm. Just real quick on this. The story itself is actually not that memorable. Um, it's just Bond at a party and he sits down and it talks to an older gentleman who shares a story with Bond about this uh, relationship between this couple. And basically like the they're just this they're just, you know, they're basically dying together, but they're just mean and nasty to each other. And uh, Bond asks, why are they even still together? And the gentleman says, well, there's when you have just that quantum of solace, you don't want to give that up. So it's just like 
it's just like a modicum of something that keeps you with another person. So, so there's a James Bond who's afraid of Virginia Woolf story. <laughs> okay. Basically, yeah. It's it's cool. it's Who the knew? least exciting of the it's like that and there's another short story called 007 in New York where Bond just describes how he likes to make scrambled eggs. Those are the, like the least action packed. <laughs> I did I did novels. see that that they were pointing out that like there's only like four or so originally in Fleming titles left and one of them is 007 in New York and it's like yeah. you if anyone's going to make that movie it would have been like Joe D'Amato and he's dead now. And it would have been an unofficial spin-off. Because you can't call up James Bond movie 007 in New York. Like, unless you do something that's completely unrelated. But um, I suppose, uh, spinning it back, like Quantum of Solace, it makes some sense uh, because they get a Quantum of Solace from revenge in this film, etc. But apparently the title was chosen at the last minute. They just kind of (laughs) whipped it out. They were like, no, we can call it anything. And this kind of fits in well enough. Yeah. But um, so so taking that, that was interesting. And then we go into the the chase sequence, as you mentioned, the foot chase. And I agree, definitely, mm-hmm. they're taking their notes from Casino Royale. I think this chase works well conceptually. I kind of I like the idea behind it, which is that it kind of starts in a claustrophobic dark tunnel, and then mm-hmm. they burst out into a rooftop, open air, bright light section, and then yeah. it resolves itself in. It's almost like a thesis, antithesis, synthesis. That in the end, they end this like open air atrium but entangled and snared in ropes there's kind of like some you know kind of physical restraint imposed onto onto the like bright open thing you know it's kind of it's it's conceptually an interesting enough kind of a a chase but as we're probably going to keep coming back to and as you've mentioned previously the editing in this thing is all over the place there's there are good stunts here and there there's some good impactful kind of sequences but they're like every time someone jumps it's like three cuts minimum you know between them like taking off and landing it's pretty chaotic and it really hurts what's happening on screen it really you know i and i complained in casino royale that there were a few stunts in the parkour chase where i felt they had needless cuts it didn't seem necessary they kind of ruined the flow of the movement of the actor which is where you know i think you really should be focusing but on the whole, the chase is still, it really works very well. It really works very well when you compare it to this one. This is just very chaotic, but it, like, chaotic, but in the chaotic in the editing, not chaotic. And like, I don't feel like I'm out of control or I feel like the frenzy of the actors or the strain or the, the intensity of the chase. It just feels like it's kind of not that very well made. <laughs> it's the yeah. worst kind of chaos to introduce in this kind of a sequence. Yeah, and then also, like, at the outset of the um, chase, uh, like, Mitchell goes to fire his gun, um, and I think Bond deflects it, and then there's just this quick cut of, you hear a gunshot, then there's a quick cut back to M of, like, her yelping and falling over, and, like, every time I see it, I think, oh, M gets shot, um, but she doesn't, it's just, it's just not constructed well but um it's, yeah which it's, which it, almost it, feels it like a plot you. yeah it feels like almost a plot thread maybe they dropped actually you know and it, it does feel like maybe this film a lot of things were reordered yeah. or rejigged maybe at the last minute i you know the yeah, whole thing I'm, feels very all over the place i mean there are there are accredited writers on this film but really it was just kind of written by daniel craig and director mark forster as it goes along um so it's it's really just a lot of if it feels like it's just kind of made up on the fly, that's because it really was made up on the fly. Like, all right, we got to do this scene. 
what do we do? How about you come in here? All right, I'll put the camera here. We'll shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. Okay, great. We got this. We'll cut around it. So yeah, which it, which is interesting that it doesn't feel more, um, you know, like uh, people who are reclaiming this. It's like a revenge film. You think mm-hmm. you could create something very kind of boiled down and resolute from that, and it's it doesn't have that energy. It just. It, it I'm guessing I mean they had obviously I think Paul Haggis did draft the first script and he he apparently finished it like right up to the the writers strike deadline yeah. so it exactly. was a, a you know a rough like whatever broad first draft so it feels like they probably you know I'm they probably took some of the complexity of that in but they didn't filter it out properly they were they weren't able to you know kind of i guess extrapolate it correctly and didn't have mm-hmm. the the resources so yeah it, it's kind of strange this film feels like it wants to pull in a very kind of genre centric way very like it's a film about action it's really a film about people doing things it's not you know talking and brooding it's not the james bond of casino royale who's kind of in touch with you know kind of finding his feelings and you know, Navi, you know, we're kind of seeing what made him the way he is. He's become that mostly here. He's hardened himself. He's become kind of mm-hmm. uh, a little more cutthroat, a little more uh, cynical, etc. You know, which was the expected character art. So this is this is a Bond who does things. But it, yeah, it, the, the film itself still has these all kind of like just chaotic, like firing synapses everywhere in the action sequences and everything where you think it could have yeah turned into something very straightforward um it's got it's got echoes i guess of like goldfinger's revenge theme but like they could have they could have like just zeroed in on it so much more so yeah Mm -hmm. it kind of feels like it it kind of fell between two stools it's it's just it's just not quite there but anyway so we have we have another we have our foot chase and i don't really remember where we go after that it's hard to keep up well well, they well it ends with Bond shooting uh, Mitchell, the guy he's chasing. He like he's dangling and he like grabs the gun at the last second and does this spin and shoot. It's kind of like a, a reverse hanging gun barrel, I guess you could call it. Um, uh, oh, we should mention this movie doesn't start with a gun barrel. It's placed right. at the end. Uh, yes. Yeah. An interesting touch. Yeah. So I guess the idea is that it kind of bookends Casino Royale's t- n- narrative. But um, but yeah. So he kills Mitchell and then we we're we go to Mitchell's apartment. Um, they're they're you know they're discussing like how this could happen. Like he he was M's right hand man and like he passed three background checks a year and took lie detector tests. So like I mean to be an MI six agent you have to be really uh, top of the line and committed to your craft. And um, evidently this quantum uh, is so good like they can have people infiltrate anywhere and not give themselves up. So. Um, from there, uh, Bond, I believe he gets a contact to meet a geologist in a room in, uh, I'm forgetting. That's right, Mr. Slate, yeah. the geologist. Is that, yeah, uh, <laughs> got that right. Mr. Slate, exactly. He goes to the room. Um, there's a brutal little fight sequence here where he fights a guy posing as Mr. Slate. Um, Bond, like, stabs him in, like, the neck and then in the leg with some scissors and just like pins him down while he bleeds out um there's a nice little touch it's a it's a like a frantically edited sequence but there's a nice touch here where bond it just kind of looks away at him dying um until he expires but um 
I don't know. What did you think? What did you think about the this scene or this moment? Yeah, yeah. We start off. Did this feels, and I guess it's kind of like a bouncer at the film. This feels like very classic James Bond. Firstly, not just that we're, we're it goes to Haiti, which you know, kind of like a Caribbean island kind of place. Mm-hmm. It, it has a very doctor no, and also a geologist and all these. So it feels like it's consciously oh, yeah. harking back to kind of classic Connery era James Bond, but with I guess it's a. Uh, more modern brutal flair so he stabs a guy in the neck and the thigh with a scissors and he bleeds out uh you know kind of quickly shot around so we could still get our pg-13 rating or whatever and um, there yeah we we are introduced to our bond girl here too the primary one mm-hmm. camille who is uh in a little in like an odd little electric car which i guess is like our our equivalent of those little tiny european cars that would show up uh in in some of the classic bond films and we have a, a a case of mistaken identity. She picks him up as I was. I'm trying to reconstruct what happens. She picks him up thinking he's the geologist, and that he's been sent to kill her, and she's gonna fix. I can't remember. It's all very complex. Uh, but yeah. anyway, no one is I... who they, no one is who they say they are. Yeah. So it's it's. Uh, I I've seen this film several times, and oddly enough, I still have trouble piecing it together. Um, but the guy in the bedroom, Mr. Slate, he's not the geologist. He's a guy who murdered the That's geologist. That's right. We see the geologist he, later. That's right. He's <laughs> he's just he's just kind of soaking in the ocean <laughs> near uh, the villain. But um, so he's there to kill um, Camilla. That's why he has a he has a you know he has a photograph of her. He's posing as the geologist because she's the one who's really kind of um, trying to figure out what our villain Dominic Green is doing with uh what we eventually find is uh just the the improper handling of some water in bolivia um but yeah so the geologist is killed uh mr slade is killed by bond bond poses as him uh goes to meet camilla and then i think they're they both try to kill he realizes oh somebody's trying to kill you and she gets you know gets in on that and tries to kill bond he you know he gets out of it and then like the Mr. Slate's uh, contact, the guy on the motorcycle comes up and says, oh, you didn't kill her. And Bond just knocks him off of his bike. So and then she goes back to the docks where she meets with our villain, Dominic Green. Um, I apologize to the listeners if any of that didn't make any sense, but I promise you I'm doing the best um, that I can. On the plus side, it doesn't really matter as often happens exactly. in these in, in these kind of sequences yeah. in the film. All you really need to know is that Bond hooks up with Camilla, who is basically the female protagonist throughout the film so yeah that's she's, that's she's basically very much it. like a yeah she's very much like a melina havelock from uh, for your uh, eyes only um she's you know a woman whose uh parents were killed and tortured and she wants revenge um so that that's that's basically her story that's all you really need to know and and she's mixed up with uh dominic green who's uh got workings with this corrupt general uh who is exchanging the land so that green can run his pipeline through it presumably we think it's for oil but that's just kind of turns out to be a red herring at this point in the film so um yeah bond tracks down green at the docks by following camilla uh where do we go from there i'm just kind of oh this is where so then he takes he lets camilla or dominic green lets camilla get on the boat with the general to for the purpose of killing her and throwing her overboard and then bond he comes in and then he saves Camilla and then this is where we get our boat chase so this is like you said we're 25 minutes in this is our third chase in the movie already um 
and it kind of it kind of gets exhausting after a while just to see all these chases stacked up against each other. And this is it's strange to say that for a film that this that's this short, but um, that's just you know sadly that's the truth of the matter. Yeah, um, yeah, and and it's, and also the problem of like all of these chases have an antecedents in previous Bond films, where which largely mm-hmm. are probably better. Maybe the car chase stands out pre-credits, but after that you have. You know, the foot chase, as we said, it's like the immediate prior Bond film. It's a better foot chase. And then for the boat chase, I'm thinking, um, God, which Pierce Brosnan one has the big one up the Thames, uh, which is, is that That's the world a, is not enough? Sure or, is, yeah. Yeah, so, so, I mean, which I think is is a better boat chase. This one is very chaotic. Again, kind of like the, the foot chase. Like, uh, there's an enormous amount of stuff happening. And it seemed like this film, I was surprised to learn this is... I think to date the most expensive Bond film uh, made and it's kind of yeah. like the money is the money isn't really up on screen the money was cost because I, I think clearly because they they didn't have a complete script and they were winging it which meant it just took longer to get everything up and running when they were shooting so there's a lot happening in these sequences but it, it always feels just a little bit out of control and a little bit out of you know kind of rhythm with with the film itself there's boats going everywhere they're running over each other crashing exploding bullets there's no real shape to it it's just you know it really just kind of resorts back down to like shot of daniel craig on boat shot of man with machine gun on other boat following him and then you know kind of an explosion and we're done it's Mm -hmm. not a tremendously inspiring chase by by any metric it just sort of it is it is a by default it is an action sequence but it's not very exciting or distinctive and i think distinctive is really i guess my guiding word through this entire thing just this film lacks distinctive moments yeah it doesn't have much of a personality um Mm. it's you know it's a bruiser and it's blunt for sure but um Mm. it's it's missing that uh, it's missing that charm that uh that you know carries bond films so well um and it's just it's all cast aside for this just this narrow and minded revenge film um but uh yeah uh boat chase um three chases in uh <laughs> third chase it's fine whatever yeah. moving on we have yeah. where, where, the opera next or something i'm close Opera's- enough Almost next. Before that, we just get a brief moment where we find out that the CIA is working with uh, with um, Dominic Green. <laughs> Felix Leiter is returning. We got um, Jeffrey Wright back in the saddle. The uh, same actor. Yeah, he, not since uh, David Edison have we had experienced such pleasures. But um, he saddled up with uh, David Harbor, or Harbor, who's playing like this goofy, mustachioed CIA agent guy. Um I, it's these sequences are weird to me because like <laughs> Jeffrey Wright, he's he's putting on this bit where he just does not look like he wants to be there. He's just got he's he was you know he was kind of charming in Casino Royale, but he's just perpetually grumpy faced in this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know, the, it's the, the film something. has. Yeah, I think this film has a weird position, like the CIA are positioned in a strange place. I guess everyone is, and there's always you know within it within the Bond franchise there's always a difficulty in that it's pretty much like uh you know james bond is like an imperialist power monger who serves british imperialism and stuff if you want to get in the nitty-gritty of the politics of the bond films they're uh not great in a lot of cases this film pushes surprisingly in terms of its kind of vision of western 
democracy, your Western capitalist countries, America and Europe, uh, yeah. pretty much devastating the you know the south of the the southern hemisphere and South America specifically as you know just cutting it up for for lucre. And it kind of openly says that, and I was I was quite surprised. But then it kind of wheels it back in with stuff like Felix Leiter is involved in that as part of the CIA, but he's also kind of like a good guy. The film clarifies by the end that he's a good guy, whereas David Harbour playing his superior, Greg Beam, is is an asshole. And so it's yeah. kind of like it's it's doing that that thing of like American government and Secret Service are terrible and have done untold damage, but it's just because assholes are in charge. And Britain, they kind of... What's funny, I guess I'm probably getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but I feel like this film serves a little bit like apologia for the Iraq war for, for British people or British audiences, because at a certain point later on, M kind of rebels against CIA orders and says, like, I don't give a shit what trumped up evidence the CIA have. I trust my man, which is exactly what Britain didn't do in the Iraq war. They trusted American mm. bullshit info and went on a massive illegal war and it was terrible and it still is. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> but it's kind of strange just to have the film balance those two things kind of uh yeah it's just a strange tension there um felix wright feels like he's or felix lighter jeffrey wright feels like he's kind of just kind of in the middle of it i saw the i saw the mention that he maybe had a larger role at one point in an earlier version of the script i don't know if that's the case or not but yeah he's he's kind of just sort of there um he doesn't get a lot to do here yeah he's yeah he's just kind of you know He's just kind of thrown in the mix. He has a, he has a memorable scene with Bond later on, but yeah, he's just he's just sort of there. And like you said, the CIA is secretly running this uh, this thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we can go ahead to the opera next. Um, for me, the opera is the highlight of the movie. Uh, I Bond, of course, infiltrates. He knocks out a quantum guy and steals his uh, his quantum gift bag which includes an earpiece so that he can listen into the uh, the secret meeting that's happening covertly while the opera is playing and Bond like goes behind the he's like up on the the rafters of the backstage scene is fully designed audience. yeah i feel like this this scene is fully designed to trigger opera and theater goers that a bunch <laughs> of shadowy near do wells have gone specifically to a live performance venue to have a conversation with each other uh, yeah. <laughs> in the audience you know just oh those assholes i mean sure okay they're they're taking over the whole world but do they have to speak during tosca that's absolutely opera costs a lot of money to go to you don't want someone talking in the audience i think it's a, yeah. it's an interesting it's an interesting idea that you know they would choose a public venue like this to have this discussion and their secrecy and the noise performed around them etc so yeah it's kind of an interesting one um, I i'm not sure the timeline on this um and I don't know, it's not like either of these are inventing opera set pieces, but there's one of the Mission Impossible films that occurs in an opera too, and I'm guessing it came a little... I don't oh, know this, if it came before this or after this. By like, this predates this by like by seven years, I want to oh, say. Oh shit, okay, so, I thought yeah. it was a little closer than that, obviously not. Because I do think the Mission Impossible one is a much more ornate structure uh, yeah. in terms of its various sight lines and tracking of people. Um, but I, I yeah, I, I would agree with you that I think this is a this is a pretty solid scene in that it's a little bit kind of it's an interesting idea. As I if I talk about this film lacking distinctive qualities, this at least feels like a distinctive set piece. Bond gets the head the 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 earpiece, interrupts their meeting, 
spooks them. They all get Which up to leave. I, I yeah. love that. I love Bond interrupting it. I love everybody getting up to flee. I think, like, you know, like you said, it's interesting that they meet in a public place. I think this just goes to show, like, they're bold to a fault and that they think they're, you know, that they're in such control that, like, they can they can do something as brazen as discuss, like, you know, obtaining millions of miles of pipeline and uh, cutting deals worth millions of dollars over, you know, with an earshot of fellow opera goers. And then, but yeah, once Bond turns out to be a fly in the ointment, they uh, they just like tuck in their tails and flee, which is a, a memorable moment. Bond, luckily, uh, he, you know, he's got this, uh, <laughs> this like high powered little wrist camera that he takes photos of all of them and gets clear images. And so that back at MI6, uh, they're able to identify everybody at the opera, except for Mr. White, who wisely does not get up from his seat. So he's uh, he remains hidden. Yes, which I think is um, also is a, is a really nice touch for him as yeah. remaining the ultimate shadowy figure who is still not brought to justice by the end of this film. So he represents something obviously even more sinister and shadowy. Um, and yeah, is is not shaken by Bond interrupting and just stays in his seat. So the others, as they get up, basically expose themselves while they think they're when they think they're they're kiting out uh, and actually they had on anonymity if they just stayed in place bond tricks them and yeah a nice little sequence um i was less thrilled by the the sequence that follows in this there's a big gunfight um which is a little through the editing is a little bit unclear there's there was i was trying to do my kill count on this and at one point i was backwards and forwards saying i'm pretty sure at one point one of the guards that's chasing bond shoots a waiter but it's kind of just stuck in the middle of it and, and the guy shooting it looks almost in still frame enough to almost maybe be a Daniel Craig stunt double, but I don't think so. I think it's a different guy, but I was just a little yeah. confused while trying to count out on this one. But um, it, it kind of, yeah, yeah Bond, Bond takes up and he gets chased by these guys and grabs another uh, double agent, I believe, uh, and drops him off a roof because that's what you do. Yeah. That's, I mean, well, that's, that's just continuing this running thread through the film is that Bond kills everybody he interacts with. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I will say I've seen the film many times before that the, uh, not necessarily that the geography is clearer to me, but I really do enjoy that kitchen shootout. Um, A, because I love that all the sound drops out and then you just hear the opera. It's cutting back with like scenes of murder happening in the opera where men in cages are gunned down and Bond's like running around. So I do... I do love the the kind of it's some it's something different which I can appreciate and I think it sure. actually works there. Yeah, so, it was a little confusing for me in a first time thing because the opera has guns in it too at that juncture, which is guns not necessarily a mainstay of most operatic performances, but obviously they they rewrite them to different time periods all the time. So this is mm -hmm. Tosca with with guns because um, yeah. why not and then they're having a gunfight so for a while I was like are the like, are the guys in the opera are they all double agents too because frankly that oh, doesn't right, seem yeah. like it doesn't seem like it would be out of the question given how the film has played out thus far <laughs> that maybe maybe the entire opera performance has been staged to ensnare one British secret agent who knows maybe the entire audience all pull guns and they all turn out to be working for quantum that's not what happens but yeah it's it's I mean it's lively it's it's, it's good enough um and it, again it's kind of like a a punchy enough sequence i don't have a massive complaint about it. i was just kind of like there there's still a certain confusion yeah uh, when the editing kicks in um and I, again it's interesting because this this i guess it ends with bond dropping someone off uh let 
dropping someone off a building who turns out they work for British Special Special Branch, but they are in fact a quantum agent, so they're another double agent. Bond doesn't know this at the time, he's just an adversary. So he drops them off the roof onto the enemy's car, but the guy yeah. is actually fine. He's he doesn't die, and then they kill him, and then Bond gets right. blamed for him dying and nearly gets his like well. I can't remember if that's what kicks in that gets his license revoked or he gets suspended or whatever because he's murdered yeah. one of the prime minister's men, um, which obviously, you know, interdepartmental uh, HR reports would have to be filed for all of that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, so like you said, Bond, he, I believe he tries to catch a flight, um, but uh, MI6 cuts off his credit cards, so he's kind of grounded and he finds another that's way. That's right. Yeah. But at this point, he reteams with uh, Mathis, uh, who we find out was not, in fact, a double agent from the last film. And uh, he's basically been given a, a nice little retirement home on this uh, on this little villa in, on an island somewhere. Um, so he's living life easily, but uh, he joins Bond out in the field. Um, and then we also get our secondary Bond girl who joins, uh, whose name is... I think she's just identified in the film as Miss Fields, but uh, the yes. credits call her Strawberry Fields. She's played by Gemma Arterton. Um, so yeah, she it's, shows it's up. a cute, I guess, kind of a joke. Again, the throwback that she is, they never give her name, and she pointedly refuses to give her full name in yeah. a later sequence they go to a party. She just says, just call me Fields. Um, and then it's end credits reveal that her name is Strawberry Fields, which is of course a classic Bond style name. So uh, yeah, I kind of I kind of like that as uh, you know that that's a fun goofy little thing to throw in, you know, because if they'd call it, you know, with the grit that goes with the modern Daniel Craig here, in Roger Moore, you could have the woman called Strawberry Fields, and it would probably be fine. Uh, but it, it would be ridiculous if that was her yeah. known name in the actual film, or at least it would necessitate a, a ridiculous conversation about her parents having some crazy reason for her name Strawberry. So they they did the right thing in, in not bothering to even bring it up, basically, or giving her a little element of mystery as a just Miss Fields. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, it's a, it's a nice, clever little subversion that they that they offer there. Um, but uh, yeah, she's there basically to arrest Bond, and Bond just casually resists and ends up even sleeping with uh, Miss Fields. Um, so uh, yeah. Well, apparently she's a desk jockey, so I guess it's their first real field uh, work is uh, getting yeah. knocking boots with James Bond. Very exciting. Uh, of course, it doesn't yeah. end well for her. Spoiler alert. No. I mean, we're basically there. There's a like a dinner party they get into where uh, Dominic Green is announcing his plans of expanding his empire or some shit like that. Um, we should mention that like his number one henchman in the movie is this guy named Elvis who's got a really bad <laughs> toupee. He's also like a, a subversion of like the henchman trope because he is completely ineffectual at everything he does in the film like he's like even strawberry fields just casually knocks him down the stairs he like winds that's up right, in a neck later him. yeah yeah that's uh, right yeah he's got a weird pudding bowl haircut i suppose it might be worth mentioning as well um uh dominic green our villain is that he's an interesting choice played by matthew amaric uh, the, the french actor but um yeah he has no affectations really he's not like previously we had mads mickelson playing le chief and he had like his 
blood from a tear duct and you know many of mm-hmm. the bond villains have like a distinctive deformity that communicates their inner twisted evil nature um uh, green is he's an entrepreneur he literally is a businessman and he he his deals he strikes are somewhat extrajudicial obviously he he has the weight of quantum behind him to threaten regime change and political gamesmanship but fundamentally right. he's he's a money man um and uh, you know kind of very and to to go with that he's he's a very boring mundane kind of a person he has no there's nothing remarkable about him whatsoever which again i think is a double-edged sword i guess in the film that it's it's an interesting idea to say he is a very unremarkable person but then he's also the main villain in the film and he's unremarkable so yeah. there's yeah it's it's kind of a tricky layout and i suppose it works that they can always point to him being part of a larger organization but that also feeds into i guess uh, like we've mentioned the feeling that this film is somewhat transitional the film doesn't feel fully kind of structured in its own right it, it does feel like a stopgap between casino royale and the next film it's like one of those marvel movies where it's like look nothing happens but look we introduced this character so aren't you excited because three years from now they'll get their own movie and it's like the yeah. the worst like kind of worst things that are happening in in contemporary blockbuster cinema where every movie is just an advert for another one so yeah. I guess I guess Bond was maybe a little bit ahead of the curve here. Iron Man and stuff had come out, but would hadn't been nowhere near as bad as it would get. Yeah. Uh, not not the best curve to be ahead on, but still. That's true, and we're also still we haven't mentioned it yet, but with all the 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 breakneck pacing and editing of the fights, we're also at the the tail end of like the I feel this is the born identity and born supremacy trend of just. You know, shooting and obliterating everything to shit in post-production so that it, it gives you the the illusion that it's more i don't know exciting than it actually is but um yeah. yeah i yeah i don't know that's just that's just a real pet peeve of mine is when editing tries to create choreography that is not there um but sure. yeah i uh, give me a give me that's why i like the john wicks you know give me a nice wide angle of two guys who know what they're doing fighting with knives and shit and uh, i'll have a better time but, the John um, Wicks and the John Woos give go that direction. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. The, I mean, if you want to talk about editing, like John Woos, just the master of of cutting images. I mean, Hard Boiled is amazing. It's got you know, it does have one long extended take, but it's also just a masterpiece of of editing. Um, I should watch that movie again sometime soon. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Hard Boiled, it's great. Um, yeah, as you mentioned. Um, Miss Fields, she's uh, killed. She's actually drowned in motor oil in a in an image that recalls. Um, uh, why am I forgetting her name? Goldfinger. Uh, Goldfinger. Oh, we oh, Jill yeah, Masterson. Ma- Jill Masterson. Yeah, the most famous corpse in cinema, except we get her covered in oil, not gold, um, which is also Green playing with uh, the like a red herring to throw Bond off his scent because this is really just all about the control of water which they mentioned thereafter, the world's most precious resource. And again, like you said, this is, you know, the tail end of the Bush era where it was about oil, but it's actually just, no, it's about, it's about water. That's, that's really all this boils down to is, this is about the control of water for a, a, a Bolivian nation. So that, you know, with you control the water, you control the people. And that's what, um, yeah, that's what this is all about. But yeah, Strawberry Fields is killed. M brings some agents in the field to arrest Bond. Bond beats them up in an elevator. 
Um, then I think at this point he reteams with Camille and they um, they take a plane to try to find uh, they I think they're basically just trying to find um, uh, Dominic Green's base of operations and they're out in the desert. Uh, then there's a yeah plane they go chase. they go to inspect the the mines or the property he's acquired to find exactly. out what yeah. what exactly is worth it and it looks from the surface it looks barren. Uh, it was shot in like the Atacama Desert in Chile, so it's like completely barren, I think. Um, but it's it's in fact the water has been kept underneath. They've mm-hmm. built subterranean dams, but they we we only discovered this after a frankly guess what guys a chase, <laughs> another one, and this yeah. one frankly is a little bit more explic- inexplicable to me than most. So um, Bond and Camila are on this uh, like old like big like DC six jet or something, you know, like an old school military style plane, cargo right. plane, um, and they are chased by this like little sprightly fighter jet. With a machine gun, it's a little old school that has a machine gun on it. Like it's it's like a World War Two fighter jet rather than like a you know a jet fighter. So sort of sort of a strange thing, but obviously they're completely outmaneuvered and outgunned because they're in a completely unarmed kind of cargo plane. And yet Bond, through a series of events, I'm not fully able to figure out, manages to like run the plane into into a wall by like breaking and banking over or something but it's it's i don't to me it didn't read as a very credible scenario given how you know this plane is basically running rings around it's already shot at one of his plane's engines i mean it's it's sort of a a david and goliath's thing and bond's canniness pulls him through his superiority of strategy but it i don't to me it just it it reads a little confusing and I know outlandishness is uh, very relative within these kind of films, but it just felt a little bit kind of more outlandish than usual. There's also a helicopter, and frankly, I don't even know what happens to it in oh, the film. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, they they like they open out the uh, the back and they dump out like some cargo to I guess distract them. But yeah, this is like a bulky, slow moving plane against uh, a you know sprightly fast little plane, so it it doesn't really make it much sense that this goes on as long as it does. Um, but uh, also pretty implausible is that Bond and Camille, basically, they jump ship and dive out of the plane. And they're both like wrestling for a parachute that is they just got the one parachute between them. And they're like, you know, free falling towards their death. And they get that parachute open like moments before they hit the ground. That would have killed them. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're like six feet off the ground when the parachute yeah. opens and they hit and they're fine, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, you need to have that open before you hit terminal velocity. Otherwise, you're gonna be you're gonna be pancake on the ground. Um, but yeah, I, the, the yeah. main the main downside of that is that they're under underground at the end of it, and she's cold. Uh, which I mean, right. she probably should be because she's dead at this point. But whatever, right. we've suspended our disbelief, and he's defeated the fighter plane. So why not? He does the the free fall. And again, I get I think this this. Uh, belies my own general recurring disinterest in freefall stunts, which are very difficult and very expensive to put on film, and I think almost invariably look kind of shitty. Uh, with a yeah. few exceptions here and there, but like, frankly, people falling through the sky very, very quickly, it's very difficult to get a sense of scale and proportion and dimension to those sequences. I don't think it reads very well in cinema at all, personally, to the most part. Like, you know, the Halo jump and the Mission Impossible most recent one? I didn't give a shit. I don't care what happens yeah. in that one. So, and maybe it's just me, but like, frankly, you know, I'm not, it's, it, it's one of the things that's like, it's if clearly this is a very... 
I'm sure expensive, time-consuming part of the film to put together. And honestly, I'm like, I, just, I don't really care. And then, I mean, the more memorable is, like you say, is the end of it where they do that goofy uh, parachute gag that's clearly... It wouldn't even have changed things to have it deploy just a little bit higher, but it just looks like... I know we all know it's fake, but like... Maybe just try and make us not have to suspend our disbelief that much. Like, give us, meet us halfway. Because mm. uh, it doesn't make it more exciting. It's not like James Bond is going to pancake out in the desert. We know he's going to survive. Just, you know, give yeah. us give us a little more. But anyhow, uh, this brings us yeah. to, yeah, they discover that water is the name of the game. That that's yeah. what it's all about, which is important. And then they, I believe, literally just hitchhike back in a bus, <laughs> which is a, yeah. a weirdly pedestrian way of wrapping up that problem. Yeah, they get back on the bus. They go to this little town where we see it's devastated by the lack of water. It's very, it's a very early version of Mad Max Fury Road where the people are controlled by the the water they're given. Um, but uh, and then I think we're 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 basically at the climax. I mean, we're we're kind of burning through this film. But uh, we, you know, the, to to our credit, the film wastes no time getting through the end. So. <laughs> Yeah, we get we're in this um this fancy hotel that's seemingly in the middle of the nowhere in the desert. Um, Bond and Camille powered infiltrated. by fuel cells. Yeah, uh, I'm confused by this because there, there it's a throwaway line that says like, yeah, this building is this hotel is powered by fuel cells, whatever the hell that means. And the guy says, oh, that seems dangerous. And then this, I think, is just a justification for the fact that the building basically goes up like a powder keg at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. For no reason. I'm like, what fuel? Like, do they just put cans of gasoline in the walls? Like, well, what is, what construction is this? But anyhow, yes, all our villains assemble in this. And it's kind of like an interesting futuristic-y looking kind of like uh, hotel um, and they're all in there yeah. doing their final deals and this dictator is going to be handed control of Bolivia in exchange for signing over the water rights, which is, I mean, right. this happened in Bolivia. It's like, uh, it's, the film hits on some weirdly timed things. In it, the Boliv Bolivia did sign over its water to a private company at one point, which jacked up the prices, so Bolivians had to revolt. Oh, wow. That uh, something mm. that, that actually happened. Uh, and I believe... Um, the rate increases mentioned in the film for water are lower than what actually happened in reality. However, uh, you know, however much you might think that like global capitalism is like, you know, like a mustache twirling villain, it's actually always worse in reality than like your cartoonish excess would imagine. Um, but also we have a coup in Bolivia, which get there was one of those just earlier this year the US was involved in. So the film is weirdly... Um, <laughs> it's it's weirdly on brand i guess in in some ways yeah. but anyhow he signs he signs it over and then he's given a hotel made to a cost by our our evil casual finance man villain and um, uh, yeah. this whole sequence just feels kind of again just not distinctive like it's just it's a hotel and some bad guys doing a deal you know yeah. uh, I, who cares yeah bond literally drops in yells at them and then just starts shooting his gun wildly at all the all the guards in the, the garage um yeah there's a bit where um basically they split off and they're gunning down all the the henchmen and camilla goes and fights the general who killed her parents and um bond fights uh dominic green who this is like this is kind of funny to me is that green thinks he has any sort of a chance against bond i mean he's just kind of a screaming frenchman with a fire axe 
but like Bond just <laughs> well, beats the shit out of it. Here's what I'm confused about: is that from the start when Bond falls through the ceiling, because Bond is like running overhead on a glass top ceiling, shooting down at at Green while he's running away, and then the the ceiling eventually gives way because the whole building is falling mm-hmm. apart. This building would never pass a safety's inspection, whatever. No. Um. So and and he falls down, but when he first when Bond first falls on him. Uh, Green just has like this piece of like metal, like a metal pipe. <laughs> Where did he find that? Because he only gets the fire axe after that, which you think would be more readily available. Like the area they're in hasn't exploded yet. So where's this like just big chunk of scrap metal he found? I just thought that was a little bit strange. Um, but I, I did enjoy the fact, yeah, that his his fight with the axe and he ends up like uh, Green ends up chopping his own foot up a bit. Oh uh, yeah, while he's while he's gets- doing it. Yeah, like Bond directs like a the the fire axe goes like just right into the front of his shoe, which smarts. Um, yeah, yeah, that's one of those flinching moments for sure. Because yeah, yeah, Bond. Uh, they hear a gunshot and they assume that um, the general has killed Camilla, and uh, Dominic Green taunts Bond. He says, "It sounds like you just lost another one because he knows his history with Vesper." So Green escapes. Bond goes to find her, finds that she's actually shot the general. And they're both, like, ready to be engulfed in this uh, blazing inferno of a hotel before Bond shoots out, like, a wall panel that explodes conveniently enough for them yeah. to get out of the another, side of it before. Another they- wall, like, another can of kerosene tucked into the wall, because clearly this entire <laughs> hotel was just designed to incinerate at a yeah. moment's note. They must have a really strict no-smoking policy in this fuel cell hotel, because everyone's yeah. gonna die. So yeah, and and uh, they they escape with that. Her, I will mention Camille's story here reminded me um, as well a little bit of going back to Goldfinger. That Tilly Masterson in Goldfinger yes. comes to yeah. get revenge for her sister, and uh, I don't think I mean obviously she gets revenge is got, but I believe it's Bond who gets the revenge in in Goldfinger. He does all the killing. So here yeah. it's kind of an updated thing where she gets to pull the trigger on. General Medrano. Like, we haven't even mentioned his name, General Medrano, because he's just such an, like, kind of... He's just, like, a South American kind of stereotype dictator, man. Like, he's a general because they just call him a general. That's it. He's a general, yeah. He's just, like, a big six-foot-four huge guy with a thick accent is is all he really is. just a burly guy that, you know, you through cinema coding, we understand is, is a bad guy. And uh, he gets he gets killed, obviously, after tussling with her. And then they escape. And then he goes to uh, find Green wandering the desert. Ironically, the man who wants to control the water is is left out in the, in the desert. And Bond brings him even further into the desert. Because I guess mm-hmm. Bond has a sense of humor about these things. Yeah. Bond leaves him out in the middle of nowhere. So this is like... It- in this drive over to this spot, apparently Green tells him everything about Quantum. Um, we don't hear any of it. We don't know. We don't understand the the um, organization any better than we did at the start of the film. But um, yeah, Bond just leaves Green out to die. He tosses him a can of oil. Says, "I bet you'll go twenty miles before you'll consider drinking that," and then uh, drives off. Um, then we get. Uh, uh, at this point, he like completely parts ways with uh, Camilla. Like they don't even, they don't, you know, they don't have their. Uh, just I guess it's another subversion, but they don't ha- ride off into the sunset together. She just kind of goes her own way. Her mission's over. There's no yeah, reason yeah. to. I do want. Is that? A, I'm trying to think. Is that a first that uh, that that Bond and the main Bond girl don't yeah. hook up at all? That's it's, a, a strange one. 
Yeah, it's absolutely a first for that. Um, that's correct. Yeah, they uh, they don't hook up at all. They don't even they don't even have sex in the film, um, which is you know it's something that usually happens. But uh, you know he does have uh, strawberry fields, but uh, yeah, not Camilla. She's uh, I don't even think they kiss in the film. If I'm not yeah, mistaken, not that I can recall. Not that I no. recall. Yeah, which I mean, hey, I guess getting with the times a little bit. It doesn't, That's true. It doesn't have to happen, so they don't make it happen. Because honestly, I'm not sure there'd be a point where it'd be like you know, good, I killed the guy who killed my sister, and now I'm horny. I'm not necessarily sure that would have worked. Although, frankly, considering some of the other script decisions we've discussed, I mean, is that less or more unlikely than the the dc6 whatever dc10 cargo plane outmaneuvering a fighter jet i don't know uh these are these are the thing i don't get paid the big bucks to work this stuff out that's that's down to the writers guild who also went on strike so they didn't have to work it out either i guess so right. um yeah he's so so they leave him in the desert and then we have like a postscript where bond is back with with m and he's all is forgiven because i guess he's proven himself his instincts were right well, there's film. a there's a moment of closure mm-hmm. with the with uh, the Vesper storyline where um, we find out that uh, her boyfriend, uh, this oh, that's Canadian right. guy, we you know she assumed that he was under some duress and that's why she was doing what she was doing in Casino Royale. Turns out, no, he's another quantum agent and he's actually um, working another gal. Um, in the he's in the middle of like this other Vesper operation until Bond bursts in. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there's, so there's a brief moment of confrontation, but we don't really see how that plays out. It just kind of fades to black. And then, like you mentioned earlier, the film feels unfinished. There's no real um, satisfaction that That's comes right. from it. We, we, get, we get our confirmation as well from M that uh, Green is found dead, but he's, he's found dead with a stomach full of motor oil and two bullets in his head. So right. the assumption is probably that he had certainly Bond didn't, someone else intervened and, I mean... Maybe he was made to drink the motor oil by Quantum for failing them or whatever. But in any case, uh, Bond didn't kill him uh, necessarily. He was he was eradicated for his failure to the organization. Um, it also brings up, I guess, an, a, a thing, again, maybe an issue with this film, which is, you know, Bond and Emma's relationship. The Bond's whole thing throughout this, I guess, this chapter, the Daniel Craig era, is that he's honing his instincts and he's a bit of a loose cannon and he's he does his own thing and his instincts in Casino Royale were often wrong and right. led him astray and then he's he's improving and he's improving particularly in Casino Royale and to this film I guess the opening strains of this film that he's improving his field agent instincts is making him a colder more dangerous person you know this this is like the the most personal improvement would suggest a you know a better balanced person no uh, if mm-hmm. you want to work james bond's job you have to become basically cold clinical psycho um and that's that's kind of what it's gaining at but but quantum salts is weird because his instincts remain pretty true throughout this entire film there isn't really he he looks like he's wrong on the outside to mi6 and to the cia who both work to to stop him but it, it turns out really he was on the right track the whole time i think uh there there's yeah. nothing yeah he, he pretty much he nailed it it's like cena royale was the training ground and from here on in he's is he I, I don't know if the later films return back to the more fallible bond i don't know but like he seems like he's pretty much on track just he's he's the best damn secret agent in the world except for the fact that everyone knows who he is already in this movie people are already able to identify him from photographs 
Uh, I did think that was an interesting part, harking back when the CIA, when um, David Harbour's character asks uh, Felix Leiter if he knows who, they have a photo of Bond and asks if he knows who he is, and Felix Leiter tries to play it cool and pretend he doesn't because he's a good guy. He's not... He's not the big bad CIA. He's a good guy. And he knows oh, that Bond yeah. is probably a good guy too. And then it turns out that David Harbour's character is it was bluffing him and he already knows it's James Bond. But I just thought that was kind of funny. That they already, like, <laughs> this super secret agent is already like bureaucrats in the CIA are already like, oh yeah, that guy. We we know him just by a CCTV shot. So oh, yeah. strange, strange how these things work. A lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of, uh, and also a lot of like kind of, a modern technology that uh that they have at mi6 like you can tell that the iphone influenced a lot of their their uh their wares oh, because they have like God, a the smart data table. desk yeah this, <laughs> God, that thing. The, i call it the smart table they have like a like they go into an office at one point to like look up um dominic green's name and they have like a smart wall where they're just reading information off of a screen. I don't know if that's supposed to be private because if you're on the other side of it, you can just see the backwards text of what it is they're reading. Yeah, like yeah, and MI6 looks like it's mostly open plan offices too. So yeah. I feel like it's a windowed office. You can just look in and see whatever M is being briefed on. Yeah. So what's weird is that like I've been going through all these in the the Blu-ray box set that I have, um, and all of the uh, films have had a the like the identical um like their blu-ray menus have all been the same um like it's the title pops up and then it's like it's got all the buttons initiate mission all that stuff you know as for play movie and it's just uh it's just the music from the film playing over little snippets of the film as you know yeah you know how a blu-ray menu works um but you pop in (laughs) you pop in quantum of solace and this is like the blu-ray menu is designed like this this the data desk smart table god that sounds nightmarish (laughs) you have to like yeah you have to navigate through these it's it's like this weird sterile robotic because the data desk like i mean what i want to see is the footage before they did all the cg stuff because it's clearly just a dude just swinging his hands around on a table like just it just it's so there's so much it's not just that like it's a big computer screen and he pulls up all the data very quickly in render yeah. reports and i'm like I, I you know i work with data reporting and it's like if you wanted the information like having information and having information presented in an easy to present fashion are two completely different things and the way they're able to produce them on the fly it's like yeah. no there's some poor tech guy somewhere who hates these people but yeah it, it's like it's like star trek like it's not just that he can has access to the information in one easy to use panel it's like he pulls up 18 different things by swinging his hand everywhere and everything just falls neatly into place to create this like coherent story of of the kai it's it's a little much frankly it's a little crazy this is i don't know if this is a, a being a bad movie watcher or not but anytime i ever on movies or television anytime i ever see a film where they're watching something on a screen or a tablet or anything else, I my eyes are always going to the edges of those frames within the film that I'm watching just to kind of see if the image like bleeds over that the TV it's supposed to be playing on. <laughs> because it's it's in some rare cases, mostly I guess in the 90s, they really played, you know, stuff on the TVs. Um, but, uh, but then you get like, if you're actually, because if you film something that's in a film that's playing, you'll get like those, those uh, vertical bars uh, going up and down like the oh the, sure the, yeah the frame rate yeah you get the refresh so yeah 
yeah so you that's why they put it in post but yeah so my eyes are always just kind of drawn to the like the edges to see if like oh did they did the post-production team get crop it perfectly in the frame or <laughs> is it yeah i don't know so it's good it's got the modern me. era where the screens are so big they don't have like you can't fit it all in the screen it's like a whole wall so you know they they, yeah. they don't have edges anymore it's a clever workaround it's perfectly right. legit to just have a, an entire wall screen it's also interesting um not to labor this too much but like the mi6 stuff because you know it was a running gag in the bond series that m always had like a custom office everywhere right that bond yeah. would, would meet him in and the and the custom office was always like done up like an old like leather leather back chair and wood paneled walls no matter he'd be like in the middle of a fucking naval destroyer or a submarine and it would still have like one room finished out like that that m sits in uh, so it is interesting that they kind of gone to like this this kind of chrome and gray modern office environment and m sits in the middle of it in a kind of a non-distinct kind of nondescript chair um right yeah it's kind of, kind of an interesting update of of i suppose those uh those things you know the kind of the, the trope it's it's sort of lost it. and again of course also we have no money penny still um right yeah so no his, his you know and no cue it, it it's it's interesting that am is given a bigger role in these films uh judy dench certainly does a lot more in these films than am did in the previous films where he really just kind of like gave the briefing and left and every so often he'd come in and go like what yeah. are you doing or you know very very small role really but um M's, M's role increases, but MI6 generally it's it seems to have disappeared almost, other than to be kind of just an uh, office intelligence thing that has many resources. That's all they have, and she she has um, I suppose she has people like um, Bill well, Tanner. Tanner, yeah, yeah and, and yeah, so and he's uh, he wasn't in Casino Royal, but I believe he's in the next couple of films after this. Um, yeah. And I believe there was there was another like there's a few kind of recurring people, I guess, in the Pierce Brosnan era. She had like Colin Salmon played one of the intelligence guys, but they're all Robinson, kind of nondescript. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of strange. They, they've sort of done away with some of those Stalworth parts of the, the franchise. And I I don't know if, if I miss them so much, you know, or, or it kind of feels strange the choice they made. I mean, we're kind of talking a lot about what's missing from mi6 and what it's replaced with seems very generic -y kind of techno kind of cinema stuff you know just they've got big walls full of computer bits and right. you know but it's like yeah but you know i want to see the q lab you know and you could update a little bit maybe not go quite for as much broad physical comedy as you used to but like you know give me it's a james bond movie it's still you know i'm i'm not this isn't real i'm not expecting it to be very real so it's sort of strange they got that and you know we don't have the repartee with a miss bunny penny or an equivalent figure um, yeah so yeah it's it's kind of a strange mix-up this is just yeah a weird shell of a bond film hung around this bizarre uh, political revenge beef um yeah. yeah, I mean, but, it made uh, sense in Casino Royale to not have this stuff because Bond was, was like right. his first day on the job, pretty much. So, you know, that none of that stuff would have been established. But now right. it's sort of like in between. You're right. It's uh, yeah. <clears throat> it feels like it's going through the motions, but things haven't been put in place. They're not there. So yeah. it feels kind of empty and barren. Uh, and then they just kind of go so quickly, just, I guess. They're just hoping like they the don't deserts notice. in this film, yeah. That's it. Empty yeah, and barren. So. <sighs> so yeah Jimmy, sad makes you think mm. yeah yeah it's yeah it's weird i don't know if um yeah i don't i don't know if uh 
making it it's you know certainly i'm i'm guessing maybe that was the first idea let's make this a direct sequel to casino royale we'll work from there um but uh yeah a lot of it uh, and also just the writer strike is to blame for a lot of uh just the unfinished quality that this film uh emits um but uh yeah i guess i guess you know to wrap it up uh, we didn't mention that uh, uh greg beam gets fired from the cia uh m wants bond back into duty he says i never left we get the james bond theme the gun barrel plays and the credits start and uh that's quantum of solace uh any uh, yeah i i yeah i i don't know how much i would return to this one um yeah this i i would say definitely this is a lower like for me within the entire franchise is kind of lower tier and even maybe there are some movies that are like maybe worse movies than this like if i were to do a direct comparison but i feel like this has got a kind of an anonymity throughout it that's almost unbecoming of the franchise um like i mean even living letter the man with the golden gun has the slide whistle car which is like the worst thing in the world but i'll never forget it and <laughs> i don't know if that necessarily it's probably not worse because the man with the golden gun is definitely worse than this in my opinion uh personally but you know yeah. i feel like there's some other lower tier bond films that honestly i might return to before this just because they're more interesting in what they incorporate this feels like you mentioned the born movies it kind of has that feeling of just really rough and tumble directness and it's i'm not sure this is necessarily the franchise where we have to do that casino royale found a really interesting end to the character but it's still james bond so it it maybe shouldn't feel so workmanlike and so kind of gruff and direct it's it's you know the franchise that's not why the franchise is still going 50 years on um yeah whatever 60 years on and when it started 62, 62 now. yeah, yeah. jesus that's a long time so you know <laughs> I, I, maybe things might get better i just yeah quantum songs as i'm looking at it it's fresh in my memory right now but it's not the film that i wanted to return to i think i think that's kind of my it might be interesting to see how this one ages for me uh, but I like I, I don't know I'll ever come back to it as like this is the underappreciated classic. I really don't. I think that's very wishful thinking to think this is like the stripped back grim revenge film that never was. Because you're right, that's License to Kill. That's yeah. what that is. <laughs> and, and go and I would watch that again in a heartbeat. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, but yeah, I've I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, Timothy Dalton Dalton walked so Daniel Craig could run across the rooftop of a combustible hotel in Chile. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, yeah. Quantum Solace. Uh, shall we run some numbers? Absolutely. So um, running our body count here. Um, I now came with seen, eighty. You, yeah, you've seen mm-hmm. this film once. It's it's frantically edited. How did you it do is. with the body count? Whew, yeah there was some fast forwarding and back like tracking back and forth and things i came out with 18 people now i do have there there's room here for some mm. discussion i did count the two guys in the pre-credits car sequence the two guys hitting a head-on collision with the truck mm. find the truck kills them but i feel they're chasing him i'll give him to bond the truck driver oh, probably yeah. died too but i'm not going to give that to them uh, i did note the i'm also giving him a kill for the guy in the opera who's left in the toilet right now That's in a Roger yeah. yeah, in a Roger Moore movie he would have just knocked him out. He would just be unconscious. But this is a Daniel Craig movie, so I'm saying he killed him. <laughs> this is what Daniel, oh, yeah. Daniel oh, yeah. Craig just does that to everyone. So he he kills he has a them. Way of, and, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. No, he, he killed him. He kills everyone. So, uh, but I came to 18, which is uh, respectable. Um, Casino Royale start Normally in the first Bond movies, James Bond doesn't kill that many, but this seems to be changing because Goldeneye was Pierce Brosnan's, and that's the reigning champ. It's the bloodiest mm-hmm. Bond movie in history, and Bond killed like 38 people by my count. Uh, so Craig, two movies in, still hasn't hit that. He's at 33 total. But mm. um, yeah, a solid, solid kill count in this movie. Certainly 18, a little up from Casino Royale's 15, but not yeah, not too much. Um, running the numbers on, on our sex count, which I feel really has run its course probably because we're through the Roger Moore era. Um, <laughs> you know, Roger Moore and I guess uh, From Russia With Love where, you know, James Bond slept with like four women in the course of a two-hour movie. Uh, James Bond sleeps with one woman here with Strawberry mm-hmm. Fields. Age difference between Daniel Craig and Gemma Atherton at the time was uh, 18 years, which is actually more significant than I thought it would be, but it's way off the 30 years that Roger Moore held for your eyes only. No oh, wow. we're ne- no one's ever going to top that. I you know, as I, say, I no. feel like this this section I feel like it's probably run its course. Daniel Craig has uh, had sex with two different partners in his Bond career, bringing hey. him to a total of two uh, you know, he's there's no way he's gonna carry like catch up. Like George Lazenby had three, and he only had one movie. So you know, <laughs> frankly, we're we're in a very different era here. He, Timothy Dalton had four, and he only had two movies. And Timothy Dalton spent most of the movie just killing people constantly. Uh, he didn't really look like a lover at all. But no, even he had more time for this stuff. But anyhow, yeah. that so so those are those are my numbers. Just one one woman. Um. So yeah, box office on this one I think is going to be a little bit interesting because we mentioned earlier this was an expensive film to put together. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. So Casino Royale cost 150 million to produce, and that's like making an entire Bond series from scratch. Just starting off there, uh, this film, this leaner, shorter, more brisk film, uh, this cost 230 million dollars to make. It blew my uh, mind to find yeah. that out. Like looking at it, and going, that was the price tag on this thing. Yeah, I mean, inflation is not, uh, this isn't like the 60s numbers, but that's closer to $275 million today, which I feel like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, $300 million was like an excessive amount for a blockbuster. Now it's like craft services on an Avengers movie, so it's definitely going up. Um, it did rake in $168 million uh, in the U.S., which is about $202 million today. Um, definitely not as much as Casino Royale, but it still managed to perform uh, with a worldwide total of $589 million, just closer to something like $700 million today. Um, so I, th- I think, uh, you know, people were definitely excited to see a Bond film. Um, I, uh, you know, it's, I, I certainly am. These films perform very well traditionally at the box office. But, uh, yeah, this is a step down in other, many other aspects from Casino Royale. So, um, yeah, it's a, this is a weird anomaly. Um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's one that, uh, I hear people praise it when they say that, uh, if you watch Casino Royale and then immediately pop on Quantum of Solace right after Casino Royale finishes, it makes it so much better. And I've actually done that like twice before. Uh, I just I just don't see it. It's a completely different film in every aspect. It's just too mm. it's too rushed, too unfinished, too frantic. Um, 
that's my that's the basically the yeah, final word I yeah, have. Yeah, I don't I don't see how that would work out so because like Casino Royale has that like extra half hour epilogue almost tacked on, which I still yeah. have a little bit of an issue with. And then yeah, if you were just running from that straight into this, it's just like suddenly it's just back up and just sprinting manically. And like that like a large part of this film just seems like it, it feels like someone just running and shouting. Like that's yeah. that's the movie. Just it's it's very loud and aggressive, but in a kind of like an unwelcome, chaotic fashion. Yeah. There's also just some minor continuity issues between the films because Casino Royale ends with like Bond in a nice three piece suit delivering the classic line, Bond, James Bond. And then this opens up, he's just in a more classic two-piece suit. It's got no real, it's just a black and white suit. I think the previous he lost, film is he lost blue. A, he could have he, lost a third of the suit in the car yeah, chase, who knows? Yeah, he, he, threw, he threw the vest at the some of the guys chasing him and it crashed into a river or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's driving. He's a different different car as well because I don't think the Aston Martins were in Casino Royale either because I don't think they struck up the contact or contract for that yet. Well, there I don't was remember a, if we saw a car he was in at the the final scene in Casino Royale. That's true. We don't. It's just a uh, yeah. It's, we so we don't know. Yeah, we don't know how he puts white in the trunk. All that is just sort of assumed between films. Yeah. But, well. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's uh, that's Quantum of Solace. <laughs> Yeah, it's a movie, guys. It exists. It does indeed, and we watched it and talked about it. But so, can, you can't ask for more than that, really, can you? Yeah, but what we can ask you for is to uh, give this podcast, if you enjoyed listening to it, uh, give it a give us a good review on uh, iTunes or wherever we get you podcasts. Give us some five stars. Explain why you think Quantum of Solace is the the misunderstood child of Bond, or maybe you think it's the worst one. Give us your reasons why. Uh, subscribe to us if you haven't already. We also have a Patreon uh, that we have just recently started, and it's very exciting. We have bonus written and podcast content that you can find there. It's uh, patreon.com slash optimismvaccine. You can also find us on Twitter at optimismvaccine or email uh, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Uh, Jack, if you want the viewers to or the listeners to find you, uh, where can they find you? You uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at real Jack Eason. So yeah, shoot shoot me a line, tell me yeah. what I've got wrong, because um, I'm probably a lot, frankly. That's true. Yeah, I gotta say, you know, Twitter's a great place these days. It's great to go on there and uh, not feel like I want to blow my fucking brains out. Um, but uh, you can find me on there. At Jake Tropila, I'm usually pretty good about responding to uh, any questions you have if you ask. So, um, yeah, that'll uh, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, for your ears only, we'll return with Skyfall. Skyfall.